we're going to start a new series and it's called Matters of the Heart. And uh, the heart, you know, for a, a person is the biggest thing really in a person's life. Jesus often talked about the heart and how that uh, the way people act, the things they experience in life, uh, all of these things are a matter of the heart. And so we as believers need to realize, you know, we're new in spirit. We've been made brand new. The old has passed away. We've been called by his name. We're part of the family of God. We're already accepted in the beloved. We're full of his life. These things are super important for us to know that we have these things right now. We possess them. But even though at a spiritual level we've been made different and we've got all kinds of resources because heaven backs us and heaven has made its home in us, we still have to deal with our heart. And there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, that in the 10th verse, and maybe you've read through here and you've seen this, the writer said this. He said that there is no other foundation in life but Jesus. Well, and then he said, be careful how you build on that foundation. Think of it this way. If there is no other foundation, there is no other way to build. In other words, you might be doing something, somebody might be doing something, but without a foundation, you can't really build anything of substance. That is the truth. You know, big commercial buildings, the multi-story buildings, before you ever see them going up, they're going down. They're working on the foundation. And the greater you want to go up, the greater you've got to go down, and the greater you've got to work on the foundation. And what's interesting, he said, there is no other foundation. This means that there is no real way to grow spiritually unless you have the foundation of Jesus Christ. The world can do all different kinds of what they call spiritual activities, but it will be to no avail. There is no other foundation and no other foundation to grow with. And the Bible said this in those verses. He said, therefore, be careful how you build on that foundation. Wow, that's an interesting statement. Be careful, you know, use caution when you build on that foundation of Jesus, that would mean that uh, every believer uh, can be building different. Uh, do we do we know what the blueprints say for building? You know, wh what's going on top of the foundation? And how many of you know this? When you build a foundation or you get a foundation settled, you, there's an order for proper building. Let me say that again. There's an order for proper building. And if we're going to build on it, and he said, be careful how we build on it. So it's not all God's responsibility. There's a part we have to play. He said, be careful how you build on it. Well, Knowing construction, you know, not saying I'm an expert, but I know this, you don't start with roofing material. 
And there are some materials you may not like to use. Insulation, fiberglass, that's not like, can we do this all the time? If you've ever messed with insulation, it's basically strands of glass. And you get that in your skin and hands, and it's not comfortable, but it's necessary. Somebody might say, well, I like laying the carpet. And if all you do is lay carpet and have no walls and no roof, the carpet's not going to be what it should be in a short time. So we need to be careful how we build. And then there's an order to building. And that is the part we want to talk about today. When we're talking about matters of the heart, we're talking about a building in the heart. If if the heart is such a huge thing and, and it's not automatic, even though new life is automatic to every believer, and, and being loved is, is, is for every believer, and being, having God for you is for every believer, but how we build in our heart is huge. It is huge. It's why we do what we do. Turn to, to uh, Proverbs, the fourth chapter, and we're going to read here. Proverbs is an awesome book. You know, if you want wisdom, the Bible tells you uh, wisdom can get you all kinds of things. It can help you in life. The book of Proverbs is a whole book about wisdom. And so in Proverbs, the fourth chapter, we're going to look at the 23rd verse and and maybe to some people this will be a familiar verse, but we're going to look at it and dig into it a little bit. And it says this, 4.23. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Other translations say this, instead of keep your heart, they say guard your heart. Guard your heart. You are the guard of your heart. Think of it. Be careful how you build. And then he said, you or I have to guard our own hearts. It's not somebody else's responsibility. Obviously, as a parent, we're going to want to guide our kids and help them so they don't get wrong things in their heart. And we're going to want to be a right example. But when he tells us, be careful how you build, and then he said, guard your heart. Why do you want to guard your heart? Because he said, out of it flow the issues of life. Now, you read that and you go, what do you mean, the issues of life? We've all got issues, somebody said. But that's not what he means. What it means is literally the, the way you're going to experience life comes out of your heart. One of the Hebrew words there literally means the borders of your life. We all know what borders are for. We know why we put certain things on our door, so certain, you know, locks and, you know, different things like that. So why? So that people can't come in that shouldn't be there. We know why we put a fence around our yard, so that our dog can be there and be safe without being overcome by another animal, or here in Arizona, coyotes. Why do we have borders? 
Why does God talk about your heart and guarding your heart? Because he said that becomes the border of your life. In other words, if we do this right with our heart, we won't cross over certain borders. You know, sometimes people say, I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it. They cross over a border. And Jesus, you know, uh, talked like that in the Bible, how people used or experienced, acted different ways because of their heart, because there were certain things in it that caused them to cross over borders or boundaries. But here's the thing. God wants to expand our life with him. He doesn't want us to be a failure. And so if we can guard our heart and look at guarding our heart, and what does he mean, guard your heart? Because if I don't guard my heart, my life can be out of order. I can go places I shouldn't or maybe not go places I should because my borders are changed. You know, the, I put the fence here instead of here, and, and God wanted the fence at a certain place, but understand these borders are in your heart. Or they need to be in our heart. And uh, there is a guy who wrote a book called Effortless Change. For the title, he got a lot of flack. But if you read the context of the book, he was really talking about setting up borders in your life. And once they're there, it's not a big effort to, to live in them. Are you with me? And, and some people struggle in areas. And if the border of their heart changed or the line in their heart changed, their outward action would change. Because the outward is affected by the inward. Even though a believer can have new life, it's important to guard your heart. And then he uses this word, guard your heart with all diligence. So this isn't just something you can start off going, I'm guarding, I'm guarding, I'm guarding. And then you kind of get busy and you're not diligent about guarding your heart. What happens is walls uh, that need to be there. Or boundaries that need to be there can slowly change. But if we will do what we're supposed to in this aspect of guarding our heart and be doing it diligently, it will help us to, like the Bible said, possess the land the Lord has for us. God wants you to possess the land he has for you. And I'm not literally just talking about property. I'm talking about all the good things he has for you. You know, right now we're in the middle of a war. I mean, we're not, sort of. We're giving equipment in Ukraine with Russia. And they've been going for a long time. And one of the big things about that war is that uh, they were guarding their borders and something came against them, you know, meaning the Russians did, and they gobbled up some land and said, now the border's here, and now the border's here, and now the border's here, and they've grabbed different areas, and so now they basically are like, okay, let's stop the war, but you have to give us all this land. Well, that means they changed the borders. That means what Ukraine should be able to possess, they can't. 
And so God doesn't want the borders in our heart to shrink. Amen? He wants them to expand to the fullness because he's made us above and not beneath. He's made us possessors of the divine nature. He's made us who are saved accepted. And he has put all things that are enemies under our feet. Now, those things are true, but at the same time, the heart is how we walk it out and live it out. And if we don't realize this, what's the most important part of this setting the parameters or building in the heart? We could start off by going, okay, I've got the foundation. Uh, let's put this on it. And if we put the wrong thing on it, everything, you know, put the wrong thing on it first, everything will be messed up. Anybody ever put something together and you didn't look at the instructions and you put something on and went, oh, cool, that fits perfectly. And you keep building. This is a perfect illustration for Christmas because a lot of wives are probably elbowing their husbands. See, I told you, read the instructions. No. Uh, and they get super far along, and then, then they're like, why won't this part fit? Why doesn't this work? Why didn't this? And they go back and look. They did it out of order. Now they got to take it apart and start going back and doing it in a certain order. And so we need to realize this. How do I affect my heart? What is the basis for building? What is the basis for building? And so if you will, turn to 2 Timothy. This is huge. And uh, we're going to read a verse of Scripture, and we're going to comment on it and look at some different things. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. I'm in Corinthians. Here we go. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. If we're going to uh, expand our life, Walk in God's best, because if we're uh, wanting to walk in God's best for our own life, do you know it's an issue of the heart? Whether you think it's somebody else, or you think it's these people are for me, or they're against me, or I have a lot of favor, you know, unless that favor's from God, but what I'm getting at is this. It's really an issue of the heart, how we walk in things and how we experience life. So what we need to realize is if we're talking about a foundation that's there, which is Jesus Christ, he said, take heed how you build. So the first material you're going to build with is right here in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And we're going to talk about this placement of maybe you could say heart attitude, uh, a core attitude, and how that, you know, the attitude is a huge thing. A heart attitude is big. And so let's look at this first thing, because even though we're going to spread out in all different kinds of ways when we talk about matters of the heart, this thing has to be fundamental, the core it really has to be the driving force for people. Right here, Second Timothy, the third chapter, and the 16th verse. Notice this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I said a lot there. So I have to take a second to breathe. No. Think of this verse. Notice what it says. Why is this the most important thing? We should, when we talk about laying the foundation, the biggest thing that happens when somebody gives their life to the Lord is they have accepted the, the king, the ruler, the almighty one, the eternal one, the one who will be forever and ever. And so when we talk about uh, the heart and affecting the heart, one thing about the heart is this. We need to learn to see certain things as valuable from a heart level. I mean, really uh, precious. That's not a word we use. We use that word sometimes mocking. Oh, how precious that somebody did something dumb. But when we talk about precious, we're talking about extremely valuable. And when we talk about this verse right here, we're talking about the Word of God, and we're talking from a heart level, it has to be super valuable to us above all things. Are you with me? It has to if we want to affect our heart right. has to be of the utmost importance. This book... Now, not literally the paper and, you know, this leather or whatever it is, pleather cover. It's not that that makes it precious because you could have the exact same book with different ink printed with different things printed on it. It's the book with what's written in it should be precious. It should be honorable. It should be treated as the highest thing out there. I mean above all things. There is no other book like it. Now let's slow down and read this real quick. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Notice this scripture. It says, all scripture is given. All scripture is given. That is a huge statement. All Scripture is given. You know, you, I just bought a year Bible. I thought I'm going to go through the Bible. Sometimes my Bible reading is, uh, you know, I read a bunch in the New Testament. I read the Bible all the time. But sometimes I think, I haven't read that book in a while. Oh, I haven't read that one in a while. And so I thought, I'll just read the one-year Bible. Well, I ordered it, and Amazon's going to send it tomorrow. So, so Amazon is going to give me this. I know it's from somewhere else, but even though it's given to me, when he talks about the Bible being given, he's talking about the origin. The origin of the book was given. And, and then he said this, it was given by God. You could stop and think about that. Anything that would be given by God, you you need to give it a good look. You 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 know, I mean, if you got you know got A's and 
perfect attendance, you know, after all your high school. It's a great achievement, uh, you know, through elementary, and you get a letter from the president. And people think, wow, I've got this. I'm going to keep this. We're talking way beyond something from the president. When we're talking about this book, we're talking about a book that was given and given by God. So how, at a heart level, how do I treat this book? So if we just say there's no other foundation and be careful how you build, we could all just say, oh, you know, the Word of God, the Bible. But wait a minute, how do we look at that? How valuable is this book? How weighty is this book? When this book is weighty to us, you know, of extreme importance and value, then when that, when that part is in us, we'll look to it and go, how should I live? What does he say? But, but if it's, yeah, that book, but it's not really in the foundation as a real reverential, holy thing, then we might just kind of go, yeah, the word says this, but. Then we're talking about matters of the heart and how we'll experience life. And so if we want to experience the way God wants us to, then we need to realize how valuable is this book? I mean, you know, people we love and certain things, we may cherish a Christmas card from them more than from that uh realtor you used last year who sent you a Christmas card. No offense to realtors. But you know, I mean, you get those things. Or the plumber who did work in your house, thank you for letting me do this. You know, that's not usually on your refrigerator door. Unless it's the only one you got. But you know what I mean. We don't think real highly of that because of the source it came from. I mean, how many parents save things from their kids. Oh, I'm going to save that. This will be great years down the road. We, we put value on it. Now, we don't, we don't collect paper. Well, some people maybe do, but we don't collect all the papers from all the kids in the neighborhood for all the stuff they drew in second grade, thinking, how great is this? It might be good for a week, but then it's in the trash can. But, but how big is this book? If all scripture is given by God, meaning he is the one who gave us the book, no matter what people's opinion are about God and his book, we need to realize someday we'll see him and we need to know just how valuable the book is today. And the importance, that needs to get lodged in us. That we look at the book and we think, wow, given by God. And how from God was it given? I mean, did he just send an angel with a book like this and say, you guys can copy this as the master copy. Here you go. No, he tells you how. He said he gave it by inspiration. So it was so important to him for us to have the Bible. He inspired it to be written. It's not a normal book. It can't be in the top 10 of your books. Like, oh, these novels and the Bible. No, those novels might be good, but it can't even be compared to those things. 
I mean, you may enjoy a novel, you may in, in, enjoy different things, but it cannot have the same weight. It cannot have the same uh, effort of attention. How many of you know we, we protect our kids, we love our kids because we value them? Well, if we value the book, we should be thinking, man, this is a big thing. And if I'm going to grow and I'm going to expand the borders of my life to where that my heart produces at the place God wants it to produce, because isn't it interesting when Jesus talked to people and they needed a miracle, he talked to them about how they believed in their heart. He talked about the heart motive behind how people served and what they did. He talked about the heart motive of love and forgiveness, and he went after the heart. But what was to govern all those ideas and thoughts that were allowed in the heart? The foundation that comes or is built on with the word. And so when he says, you know, it's precious, it's valuable, it's given by God. I mean, if we just thought on that one statement, it's given by God. That should trump any other statement. It's given by God. Now, a lot of people will claim, you know, I wrote this book about prayer and God gave it to me. But if it's of any value, it came from the scriptures anyway. So you still have to put the word up above. Other people's opinion. You know, we live in a society today that there is not a lot of respect for um, or honor or consideration for things being precious. It's just either they don't know or they're just so absorbed in their own life. And the Lord tells us, listen, I want your life to expand. I want the borders of your heart to be set up where you're walking in what I want. And it's going to come through this, this uh, of honoring, considering the word of God of the greatest value. T turn over here to 1 Peter. This is an interesting verse. What makes something of honor? What makes things of value? What makes things precious? What, and, you know, and precious may not mean much to us right now, but as we read, uh, maybe we'll start to think of things, certain things, um, as more precious. Now, notice this verse in 1 Peter 1 verse 1 Peter 1:18 it says knowing this that you were not redeemed we would we wouldn't use the word redeemed today you know for the most part but really we would say something like this uh, you were bought there there was a payment and and what is he talking about buying here he said, knowing this, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things. In other words, what does he mean corruption? Well, dollar bills and gold, it decays, it, it goes away. You know, 
you circulate gold or circulate coins. You ever seen a new coin? How, wow, this looks cool. You ever see that? Then you ever had a coin that um, been around in a lot of pockets, a lot of kids' mouths? I don't know where it's been. And you look and it just doesn't look the same. It's all wore out. Well, you know parts of it have been worn off. Or you have a, a brand new 100 or a brand new $20 bill, and you go, wow. But just by the use, it, it becomes corruptible. It, it decays. It gets broken down. And so he said this right here. He said, knowing that you are not redeemed or bought back with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct... By the traditions of your fathers, he basically is saying, uh, you learned how to live because of society. Society is driving your life. When he talks about the fathers, he's talking about things that are passed down through society. And if we're to guard our hearts, one area we're going to realize, need to realize is there is going to be stuff that's going to be passed down to us through uh, society and life that we're going to have to guard against. We're going to have to guard against. But not like, ah, but from inside. And so notice this. We're going to read on. Talks about how we were redeemed. We were bought back. And here is the payment, verse 19. Not with natural things, but with the precious blood of Christ. You know, you can kind of read over that and it may not impact you. Because what is precious blood? You know, when I was little, people had these things called precious moments, these little figurines. People say, oh, that's precious. And then we look at different things and we think that's precious and this is precious. But what is precious? What, what, is, what is precious? Well, I could tell you what some things are precious and why they're precious. Is water precious? Yeah and no. It, uh, is food precious? Yes and no. But for the most part, people probably overate here during the holidays. And your pants are talking about it. And you don't think anything of it, so... You just took the extra food you had and said, should we do this? Should we put this in Tupperware? No, nah, just throw it away. Just, you know, a little bit of vegetables, a little bit of meat, just, just throw it away. You know, just throw it in the trash. That happens. You know why? It's not that precious. Go to a famine-stricken land where you don't have a car and you can't get out of the land and you're thousands of miles away from food and water, then guess how precious food gets once it starts getting limited. All of a sudden, food becomes like, whoa, be careful of that crumb. You get what I'm saying? Certain things that, that you you see like that, you go, well, wait a minute, then it becomes very precious. We, we look at these things and, you know, gold is called a precious metal. What does that mean? There's not a lot of it. I mean, it's only out of the ground. 
and we call it precious because its value, the more precious something is, the more valuable it is. The same thing that comes out of the ground called gold, also dirt comes out of the ground. How precious is that? Mommy, I made you a mud pie. That's nice. You know what you're doing? You're waiting until they leave and then you go throw in the backyard. And that's why? Because it's not a what it's not a gold pie. Because if it is, you're all like, thank you, go make mommy another one. Because you realize there is a value to that gold. But you know. When we think of something precious, we think of something that's limited. It's limited. I remember I used to watch uh, Twilight Zone, and I remember these guys, they did this big bank robbery, and they robbed and they got all this gold, and they had figured out how to do this time capsule thing, so it was in the, this cave. And they got in these glass containers and they had all this gold and they thought, we'll live for a hundred years, we'll make us come out of this time capsules and then we'll have all this gold and we'll be super rich. Sounds like a plan. So they woke up and you know, there's like four or five of them and they all wake up and say, did it work? Did it work? And you know, they have to prove it works. So all of a sudden they looked over at Larry and a rock fell from the cave and broke his thing and he was just a skeleton. They're all, it worked. We've got all this gold. And, and uh, so one of the guys looks at the other guy and thinks, I'm going I'm to kill him because uh, more gold for me. Finally, he kills this other guy, and, th and now th I think there's two left, and they're all paranoid and of each other because they've got all this valuable gold. And then they uh, go out, and they're going toward the street, and I think it ends up where only one's left alive, and this guy's got all this gold, and he stops a car coming, and he said, I need water. I need water. I'll give you a bar of gold because they're out in the desert. And they had planned this and thought, you know, we'll have all this gold. We'll be able to do whatever. And the guy said, gold? I'll give you water. Think of it. He is willing to sell gold, something real valuable, for something that became very precious. It was life. And the guy in the car said, oh, we learned how to, about 50 years ago, how to make gold. Gold is worthless. Twilight Zone. It's worthless. But you think about it, when we talk about the precious blood of Jesus or the precious word of God, why is the blood of Jesus precious? Because you can't, all the animals they tried to kill could never remove sin. It, what makes it precious is its rarity and, and what it can do. And so if the blood of Jesus is precious, it's rare. There is no other blood that can wash away sin. So if there is no other blood that can take guilt out of the heart of a person, think how valuable it becomes. Think how precious it becomes. We should log that in our hearts. But here's a question. How do we know that the blood can do that? Because 
the word said it. So if the blood's precious, how much is the word of God precious? How much is the word of God worth? And when the word of God is precious to us, understand this, the word of God is precious, valuable. How do I treat a person? If I count a person as valuable, precious, I'll treat them a certain way. Think of this. How does God consider humanity? Precious. Because he gave the son. So you can see from a heart level, God loves humanity, whether they're living right or not. He's trying to help them. And so the death of his son was a precious thing, and he shed his precious blood because it's, and what makes it so valuable? No other blood. No other blood. No, no other blood. And so what makes the word of God so precious is that it was also given by God, but it tells us about the blood. Man, if, if I don't know about the blood, and I don't know about Jesus dying, and I don't know what's pleasing to God, but if there's something that can help me to know how to do things that you know, will last forever, then that book becomes, or that document or whatever, becomes very valuable. Becomes very precious. Because if I can't be clean and nobody can be clean without his blood, then oh my, that blood is precious. But if I don't even know about the blood and there's no way to know about it, it can be of value, but not of value to me, even though it's of the most value. You know, there may be some precious metal in the earth we don't know about yet that's more valuable than gold and silver or whatever. But once we know about it, it was already precious. We just learned about it. You know, the Word of God is the same way. It is the most valuable whether we know about it or not. Whether we treat it that way or not. If you really want to help your heart, Look at how you treat the Word of God. How do you uh, treat what's said in the book? If I want to um, uh, have my heart fixed right in this area, then I have to look at the Word of God, and if I go, well, I don't like that, I have to go, I'm changing me. Not that. And because it's from God. Super valuable. More valuable than anything. You know, there are people, old pharaohs, you know, you ever look at some of those things? They, they buried things so they could have them in the afterlife. You know, they have gold in this and gold in that. And they thought, well, we'll, you know, bury them with all this stuff so in the afterlife... Listen, 
The Bible said the gold and all the stuff in the earth will perish and be consumed. The earth will be, the earth will be revamped and remade. It will be consumed by a fire when the Lord comes. But do you know what does go on? Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. So if it's the thing that goes on forever, and if we're going to be judged out of the book, how valuable does it become? But the question is not how valuable does it become, it's how valuable does it become to you because it is already of tremendous value. You know, I went to a car show, and uh, it was in North Scottsdale, and there were hundreds of cars there, and some real expensive, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for these cars, and you know... So when you go to a car show, you just don't go lean on somebody's car to take a picture. Just wanting to throw that out there. Don't just go lean your hand and go take my picture. No, because that car is valuable. And uh, the paint on that car is probably worth most of our cars, you know. But what's interesting at this car show was how people treated the cars, and then all of a sudden there was this one car that came up, and then they scurried around and got these cones and put the cones around the car. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And then they put tape around it so you couldn't even get close to the car. And there are multiple, 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 I mean, there's probably 300 and something cars there parked for people to observe them. There's multiple cars worth 100,000, hundreds of thousands, and even a million dollars. But then all of a sudden this one car shows up and everybody with all these rich cars started going, whoa, and they put cones around it. It was called the Konenzeg, I believe it was. So it's like a $3 million car. I was like, can I touch it? <laughs> they, they're not even going to give you that option. And everybody who knew cars looked at this car and in all of its glory, and they were like, whoa, and they valued it above all the other cars. Well, what about the Word of God? Is it only above all books? Or is it above all knowledge? Above all things? Here's what we need to do to help ourselves. Is how respectful do we act toward the book? How do I treat when, when the book is read... You know, how do I treat it? Do I sit and listen? These are all things that will help our heart. Because remember, how we experience life comes from the heart. And we need to be careful how we build. Because if we build wrong, our experience with God in life will be totally affected. That's why the foundation is Jesus and our utmost respect to God's word. If it's inspired and given by God, then if God said it, that's it. Then what I feel about it, or what others feel about it, or what others think about it, matters not. Now you understand, the world can totally turn and become opposed to the book, but it doesn't change the value of it. 
Just because a bunch of people foo-foo the book and eh, whatever about the book, it doesn't change the value of it. I could have walked by that $3 million car and gone, oh, whatever, but it didn't change the value of it. It just changed my attitude toward that car. So what I'm saying is, no matter if people are like enamored with the book or whatever about the book, it doesn't change the value of the book. The book is esteemed or should be above all. Regardless of other people's opinion, our heart, and in our heart, there should be a place for the book that nothing else has. No, no best friend, no riches, no nothing. Death, you know, if you were to be put before a firing squad and they're like, you want to live on or do you want to deny the book? Fight, you may fire when ready. We want to put the book above all. Here is another thing that will help us how we treat the book. But if we would reallocate time toward the book, that doesn't mean we read all the time, but allocate some t- reallocate our time. Our heart goes where we give ourselves. Are you with me? So... How could I reallocate some time? Well, I could reallocate some of my imagination just when I'm walking around. I could reallocate some of my time to prayer, uh, to the things that uh, contribute to the Word, whether it's church, you know, different things, whether it's telling my friends about the Lord. All these things start to, when I give time and allocate time to things, it becomes precious to me. It becomes valuable to me. And so, as we move on, we'll change and this series will look totally different at some points. But really, this is the start. This is huge. Here's one thing, if you will allocate some thought, some time to the Bible, I promise you this, it will pay off. Anybody who allocates time toward digging gold and panning for gold, uh, it will pay off. I mean, if you're doing it in the right place, you understand. Not in the gutter. But, you know, you go to a river where there is gold there. Well, if you allocate time, effort to the book, it will pay off to you.